welcome to the Jason Claus Show. I'm Jason Claus, your host, and today we're talking about, as always, good ideas for busy managers. Welcome, 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 everybody. This is the Jason Claus Show. It's a podcast dedicated to helping busy managers find good ideas to lead their teams. My experience is the best managers out there, they're idea collectors. They're always on the lookout for great ways to build culture, to build their teams, to help their teams be more efficient, to help their teams be safer. And that's what this show is about. It's about finding those ideas and sharing those ideas. We have an awesome episode for you today. I've got a couple of friends joining me, Thomas Mealy and Kirsten Barante, and we're going to be talking about how you build the business in a way that allows you as the owner or you as one of the management uh, management team leaders, how do you build it in a way that allows you to mac- to maximize the, 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 the payoff uh, when it's time to exit? And we'll get into it right after this. The Jason Claus Show is brought to you by Ensight. Computer problems are frustrating and expensive. They're also almost always avoidable. You deserve a better experience, and you can trust Ensight to deliver. To find out more, go to www.ensight.net and check it out. All right, everybody. Welcome back from the from the break. Um, like I said, we've got a great episode for us today. Um, I've got a couple of guests, and this is the first time we're going to be trying to do two guests on the show, so I'm excited about that. The topic we're going to be talking about, it's a presentation that I saw a couple of weeks ago called Built to Exit, Maximizing Your Business Afterlife. And this is one of these episodes that will fall into the bucket of begin with the end in mind only this is a much longer arc than anything that we've talked about before. It's about building the business in a way that allows you to get to where you want to be at the end of things. And my guests are experts at helping companies do this. Um, Ladies first, I'd like to introduce Kirsten Baranti with the Baranti Law Group. And, uh, She's a, uh, she's thank a, you. Oh, yeah. Welcome. Thanks. Uh, thanks for, uh, for joining the show. So glad you're here. And my second guest is, uh, is Thomas Mealy with the Mealy group. And Thomas is a management consultant focused on helping companies improve their operations to maximize the, 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 the efficiency and the, and the profitability of the company. Thomas, thank you yeah. for joining. Really glad you're here. Thanks, Jason. Glad to be here. Like I was saying, I, the, the pre- thank you for having me uh, um, uh, come to the presentation. That was, that was awesome, and I'm, I'm eager to share it with everybody. Um, before we get into it, um, maybe just, just do a little self-introduction as well. Um, uh, well ladies first, uh, Kirsten, maybe, uh, you know, where are you from? How'd you get started? Um, uh, so I am from the Bay Area here at, in Livermore. My office now is in Dublin. I've been an attorney since 2001, so just a few years. Um, uh, second career, uh, you know, looking at, had worked out in business prior to, uh, you know, working with businesses, small businesses on, you know, labor issues, business issues. And so firsthand, you know, recognize, you know, those issues 
that you may have built a business and you think you have children that will take it over. And now what do we do um, with that business? And I think that's kind of where, you know, from a legal perspective, you know, people have an expectation, you know, that they're going to get all this money, but, you know, there's only so much I can do. And that's where I think Thomas comes in. That's awesome. What, what I just heard was, was breeding by itself is not an exit strategy. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That would be a yeah. fair statement. Yeah. That just, it, that's not going to be in the presentation, everybody, but you know, that's just, you know, that's free advice from me. That could be a whole other show actually. Yeah, I guess. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, Thomas, same, uh, uh, same, same sort of, uh, 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 yeah. Hand off to you. Where are you from, and and kind of how did how did you how did you become Th- Thomas? Yeah. So I uh, actually born in Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, but uh, lived all over the country. I think uh, uh, for me, uh, my dad was in sales, so we lived everywhere. We we I think I went to uh, last count was thirteen different um, homes before I got out of high school. Uh, but um, my PhD is electrical engineering. I graduated back in nineteen eighty eight. Uh, the focus there was on um, semiconductor technology, and I spent 25 years, 25 great years. I really enjoyed every year of it. Uh, very challenging in the semiconductor industry. The first half was with uh, uh, a company called Motorola that I worked in semiconductors uh, in the production and technology side, and then the second second half was with a company called Applied Materials, where I worked on the equipment uh, manufacturing tooling side. Lots of different roles, everything from a, an engineer to a plant manager for, for Motorola to being a uh, chief marketing officer for one of the large billion dollar groups at Applied Materials and um, uh, had a great career. Loved it, uh, enjoyed it, and then in 2014 decided to open my uh, consulting firm um, and the goal there was very simple, was to take all the techniques and tools and learnings that I'd gotten over the years working uh, across many functions inside large corporations to figure out how do I scale this down and bring these tools to business owners to help them uh, really uh, maximize the performance of their company. How do we get the, the maximum income out of it for them uh, so they're really reaching their income goals, but then ultimately how to build an operation so someday they can you know, um, see their operations thrive without them and, uh, you know, really maximize the value, however they turn uh, to exit. So that's what I do. Right on. Well, welcome, guys. All right. Let's, let's just jump into this. Um, what, other, than, other than breeding, what, what, are some, what are some examples of, of, of some exit plans that, uh, that, that you've seen out there? Or, or what are the options that, that, that folks have? Yeah. So, you know, what, what happens is, is that, you know, people, as you, you mentioned earlier, they spend their whole lives, you know, building a business. Uh, it's really the most, for many of them, the most valuable asset at that point in time. And uh, there are in, in, in the simplest uh, form, fundamentally four different ways it's going to turn out in the end. The first is they're going to shut it down and walk away. Uh, and um, obviously nobody wants that one. Uh, they'll end up liquidating the assets of themselves in some form or fashion. In a lot of cases, uh, business owners are going to work. Uh, the second one is they're going to work until they die. Uh, literally, they will work in the business until they, uh, you know, pass away. And then again, uh, somebody's going to liquidate that asset, um, but it won't be them. It'll be somebody else. The third one is to keep ownership of the company, uh, but set it up so they can have it run without them. 
And that is actually an interesting uh, concept that a lot of people don't consider. Uh, but uh, And that could be a transfer of ownership to the employees. It could be transfer of ownership to uh, uh, where they still, well, actually, they wouldn't transfer the ownership. They would keep the ownership, but they would have it run without them, and they would basically see a residual income from that. The transfer comes in the fourth one, which is they could sell the business or transfer the ownership to somebody else. And that's where um, most people see their business ending up. Um, they want that payout at the end. Right. And then the, the goal here then being to, 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 to try to figure out what mix works for you, hopefully not one of the top two. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. No one wants that. No right. one starts with that as their goal. Right. And so the, the, the real challenge then is how do you, how do you, and no one goes into business really thinking about this. I don't think at least none of the people that I talked to early on in the, it, it, it's about just, does this idea work? Will it hunt? Um, but you, the, but you, but as you get into it, you need to really be thinking about how do you maximize this, this right. after, you know, after you're done or, 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 or when you feel like you're done. Right. Yeah, and I think that's the point that, uh, you know, uh, Kirsten and I, why we put this whole talk together was because it takes time to do these things. And, um, you know, when it comes to the whole theme, which is, you know, how do you maximize your business after life? You have to accomplish really two things. One is to maximize the business value. So how do you maximize what it's worth when you're done, uh, particularly if you're, if you're planning on trying to sell it? And the second is to minimize your long-term uh, involvement, uh, which, you know, uh, if you have to do an earn out of some sort or you have to be attached to the business because the business can't run without you, uh, whoever is taking ownership of that business is going to require you to stay. And, you know, I think when a, when a business owner decides they're done, um, they want to be done. They don't want to have to work another three or five years um, uh, to make sure that they can get their full payment. So that's what we mean by maximizing the, the afterlife is maximize the value and how do you get out of it when you're done? Yeah. That's, that's really good. Um, one of the things that, 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 I, that I loved about the presentation uh, that you guys gave was the questionnaire that you handed out and, you know, kind of getting us to all kind of think about some things that questions that I probably wouldn't think to ask or that, that, um, that as an, uh, you know, that as an owner or as a, as a business leader, I wouldn't, wouldn't really think about, but I, cause, cause like question number one, I just assume that you build a business and there's some value attached to it. But turns out there's a known percentage of businesses listed for sale that end up selling. And I was astonished by that number. I, I won't steal it from you. I'll let you share it. <laughs> well, 10% is quite low. And I think it, it shocks everybody in the audience. And you it shocked have me, that number. It shocked me, you know, from my experience, you have um, business owners who think that their business is worth so much. And the best example I can give you is I had a scenario where I represented a large business and uh, a smaller business had approached them. And the guy was 65 or so and said, you know, we both do the same thing. And... Um, you know, I think I want $7 million. And my client, as we went through due diligence and looked at it, there were, and we're going to talk about this, there were no processes. There was 
significant amount of liabilities. Um, when we ran the numbers, it was, you know, probably maybe a million dollar business. And my client's comment to me was, well, it was a good exercise, but um, I think I'll just wait until it folds and I'll just scoop up that business. And so there's a certain amount of... Uh, I think people are pretty shocked uh, at um, uh, what it is worth. And typically, and there's, I'm, I'm not an expert in this. I don't do this for a living uh, as far as business evaluations. But you know, the in easiest, simplest uh, formula that I use with my clients is, is uh, basically taking a 3x multiple on their net income uh, before taxes and whatever the company's generating right now, true, true income that's coming out of the company. And I think people are pretty shocked when they hear that because everybody thinks their business is probably worth 10 times more <laughs> than right. it actually is. And, um, and that's a wake-up call for them. Uh, and when they get that number in their head, then they start to understand, okay, I might need to rethink um, you know, my overall strategy and my plan, or I need to build the value of the company in some way. And that's where, that's where we can come in and help them do that. Right. And, and you, you, you've identified some key impact areas that, 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 you know, levers or buckets that you can direct energy and attention towards. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah. So when, it, when, uh, when Kirsten and I, uh, you know, look and help guide uh, companies, there's typically three areas that really require a lot of focus. And, um, and the first is ba basically building a capable leadership team uh, and building a strong organization. These two things are very, very important and highly valued by uh, the person that would be operating the business long term. The second is to develop a market strategy uh, or have a market strategy that protects your market position uh, and shows a clear, believable path to profitable growth. Uh, no one wants to buy a dying business. They want to buy a thriving business that's got potential to grow. And then the third is uh, to get the operational infrastructure of the company in such a way that it can scale with growth. Uh, it's clearly systematized and documented and very transparent how things work. So someone that comes in, if they are going to buy the company, they can see, oh, this is how, this is how things are done here. It's documented. People know it. And, and these are the three areas that, that – uh, you know, when Kirsten and I, you know, talk to people, um, you know, through our workshops, you know, we share the details and that's, you know, what our, what our story is all about. What are the, what are the legal and the operational aspects of these three areas that are critical um, to really maximize the, uh, uh, the value of the company and the afterlife of the owner? Right. Well, going, we're going to spend a little time digging into, into some of these, right? Um, yeah. Like for, for example, like just beginning with leadership. Right. Leadership from the owner or the business leader's perspective is different from leadership from the team's perspective. Right. And, and from their perspective, um, not all of them necessarily have the greatest faith in, 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 in their, in their leaders. Right. And, and this was another one of those questions that, that I was a little bit, I was a little bit surprised by, right. What percentage of companies don't feel their leaders are able to lead the organization into the future? Um, yeah, it's a very high number. It's uh, 71%. And, mm -hmm. um, and this includes companies of all sizes. This was a nationwide, this wasn't just a small private business um, uh, survey. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, it's, it's a staggering number. And it shows you how, um, uh, how important it is to develop your leadership team, uh, and your organizations. Mm -hmm. And so uh, from an operational standpoint, there's 
at the highest level, uh, the three areas that um, are really critical for an owner to be thinking about whether they plan to have the business run without them, uh, which was option three, or ultimately sell the company, they have to build their leadership team. They have to have a, a core group of leaders um, that have uh, the maturity and the depth of knowledge to really be able to lead and continuously improve the company you know, within their specific area of operations. And this is a real challenge um, for the leader of the owner. They have to either find these people or they have to train them up from within. Uh, and eat. both of those things take uh, time and a lot of energy. Uh, in mm -hmm. fact, this is, the, this is the area the owner really should be focusing most of their, most of their energy on. Uh, they have to follow that up. They have to compensate. They have to be prepared to compensate these people. Good, good people, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, need to be paid, uh, particularly in the competitive market we're in, in the Bay Area here. And the tough one that most people struggle with, at least a lot of my clients do, is actually delegating authority and decision-making power to them. So um, that's ultimately the goal is you want people making decisions and directing operations without you having to get involved in every aspect. So building the leadership teams, one, from the operation. The second one is really designing uh, the organization. Um, a lot of people, a lot of companies will have employee manual, manuals with very generic roles and responsibilities, perhaps, if they get that far. Um, we really encourage people to take it to the next level. They need to really define exactly what every position is. What are they accountable for producing? How is that going to be made um, uh, measured? Uh, and ultimately, how does it contribute to the success of the company? So it's very clear. And then the third area that's critical uh, is uh, establishing rhythm of execution. And this is where um, uh, there's a rhythm to how things get done in a business. The leadership team, the organization is known to operate with a certain rhythm, uh, and that means there's you know a couple of critical uh, weekly or monthly, uh, daily uh, uh, meetings that are held, and this is used to reinforce goals and really reinforce the operational elements of what need to be done on a daily basis. So um, there's lots of other elements, but at the top level, these are really the three, and there's a tremendous amount of detail uh, behind each one of these. But those are the three that are that, that are critical to making sure this operation is going to thrive. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely last one pack under that, but yeah, great overview. And Kirsten, you have a, you have a perspective on this from, from sort of the other side of the transaction. Yeah. That's true. Uh, when I come in uh, at any stage, but many times it's late in the game, you know, and we're looking at either I'm representing the buyer or I'm representing the seller, you know, we're looking at what is your legal status? meaning, you know, are you a corporation? Are you an LLC? Have you um, been compliant if you have um, been a corporation? And uh, that's a whole nother hour talk, but, <laughs> you know, we're, we're looking at who are the owners, you know, even if it's not a formally uh, put together corporation or LLC, you know, are we going to have an issue because we have five owners and we're not going to get five people to agree to the sale or the price? Uh, and, you know, in that same vein that impacts both the buyer and the seller is what's your tax status? Uh, today we hear, well, I should say every day now, we hear something about some tax changes potentially coming through at uh, the federal level how will that impact that sale? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so we, you know, we're going to look at, you know, the purchase or the sale of your business and what will that do? 
Um, and in that same light, we may change the structure of how that sale will go through. So I'm looking at, should we do a stock sale, which means if it is a corporation, we're buying the whole thing, we're buying the assets and the liabilities. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, but what are the liabilities? Mm -hmm. um, I do a significant amount of labor and employment. Have you bought yourself a lawsuit, you know, by doing <laughs> that versus all, right. we're, all we're doing is buying the assets, the chairs, the books, the um, uh, customer list, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. uh, on, on that, you know, I touched a little bit about legal compliance, but that legal compliance uh, is related to the entity, but it can also be about um, have there been any sort of investigations uh, and it can be as simple as for example a restaurant you know there's environmental issues you know have you been putting stuff down the drain and now you've got uh, you know an environmental or CEQA issue mm -hmm. and uh, is there anything pending and the processes Thomas had touched on, but that's important because from my standpoint, when I look at it from a legal, if there's, if you're marketing or you're buying and you've held out that, you know, you have processes in place, you know, at the end of the day, will we have a fraud situation if those processes really aren't there? And lastly, we're looking at, you know, do you have, you know, some sort of, um, uh, lease that's going to, if you, again, like the restaurant, are you buying this wonderful restaurant, but the lease is only, you know, nine, nine months. And so you get in there and now you've got to move to someone else. And as we well know, you know, it's location, location, location. Right. Um, <laughs> so I guess uh, you can't have a conversation about real estate without talking that about using that. Right. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. All right. So one of the things, one of the things that you mentioned was buying, you know, when, when you're, when you're evaluating, buying, you know, a lot of times, particularly with business service firms, I know this mm. in my business, um, we're just, we're, we're buying their customers mostly. We're, we're buying some, some of their employees yeah. too, but it's, it's mostly their customers. And then we're going to, we're going to lay what we do over the top of that. And one of the questions that, that, that we want to know is how good is the, is the business that we're evaluating um, at acquiring new customers, right? And so what the, the percentage of companies with, with, with less than 50 employees that have a documented marketing plan, that number I thought was low too. Well, you know, you have 56% mm -hmm. of, you know, of companies that say, I have something there. They will all say, yes, I market and yes, mm -hmm. I have sales. But as Thomas is going to talk about having documentation and from my perspective, you know, is, is key, you know, because you're buying that, mm -hmm. you know, you're buying the service and the marketing. Right. Um, and Thomas is much better at this. I'm going to go ahead and let you go into that. Uh, Thomas. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's remarkable when you ask uh, business owners, um, you know, do you, have a, do you have a strategy? Do you have a vision? Do you have a marketing plan? Oh, yeah, yeah, we have it. And it's like, well, is it written down? You know, can we read it? Uh, has it been shared with your employees? Uh, the answer uh, most often uh, is no. And yeah. it's a big problem. So the second area that, that we'd Thomas, like to focus Thomas, let me, has anyone ever gotten out a napkin and shown, that to, shown it to you that way? 
Um, no, I've never seen a napkin, um, okay. but uh, I have had a lot of business owners get very angry with me, <laughs> um, which is, uh, you know, when, I, when we do assessments to, to do this, and, and Kirsten does this as well with her due diligence checklist, mm-hmm. um, you know, everybody thinks they have everything, but when you actually say, well, show me the file or the document or the, you know, the, the, the evidence that this exists, uh, it, it, it doesn't take very long for them to get frustrated. Mm-hmm. It's in their head, right? Yeah, Which is one absolutely. of the key problems. Yeah. Right. It's one of the key tenants here, right? Process yeah. is not, if it's in your head, it's not really a process. Yeah. Correct. Sorry. I, I know. I, I'm sorry. I interrupted there, please. Yeah. We'll talk more about that because that's a third category, but uh, you know what, on the marketing side of thing, you know, the number one factor that people have to understand uh, here is they have to get the owner. The owner has to be out of the sales process. Mm-hmm. Um, in many cases, the owner really is the rainmaker. Um, they have the relationships. They understand the channel. They've been working in the business 10, 15, 20 years. They know everybody and everybody knows them. Uh, and the business isn't going to thrive without them if they're gone. Um, so this is really, really a critical element. And so they have to, they have to begin to understand and put in place either they have to decide whether this is going to be a sales team. They need someone that's going to do the sales uh, uh, you know, person, or they're going to have some sort of customer acquisition process that's going to be automated uh, through you know online or other tools or other arrangements with other companies. However, it works out. And it's interesting, you know, everybody thinks everything's moving to the web and everything's you know uh, going through um, some sort of online digital marketing. But even with these trends, thirteen uh, percent of all jobs in the United States are still sales jobs. So sales, outside sales, and you know this, this is what you do for a living, yeah. uh, is still a huge part of the, uh, the way industry works in this country. And it's going to remain that way for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you uh, and I never would have met otherwise. That's true. There's, there's, a, there's a, a, a person-to-person aspect of this that I don't know if it's ever going to go away. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And for certain industries, that's the only way it's going to happen, uh, frankly, for a long, long time. Uh, the second element on the marketing side is uh, one of you know positioning um, the portfolio of products or services you have for growth. You know some revenue is better than others, um, and uh, we want them to focus on the revenue that generates uh, the maximum gross uh, margin, gross profit for them, but also the one that has potential for growth. Um, and people don't realize that any resources that you spend on products or services that really don't fall into that category are really a distraction for the company. Um, it may be generating, you know, some top line sales, uh, but, um, you know, we really need to have the owner go through their portfolio of products and services and get focused on the one or two things that are really have a potential for growth and are profitable and get rid of everything else because everything else is just a distraction. This is a real hard thing for people to do because they say, hey, every revenue dollar is sacred, but it's, it's really not true when you look mm-hmm. at the totality of the company. And the third is the one that uh, is actually um, an interesting one, uh, which is uh, getting the current team to really figure out and create a vision that can really leverage the core competencies of the company that, of where they could expand the market um, if they really put some energy into it. And so for a business to be really attractive uh, to a buyer, um, it has to have some sort of growth potential. And this is what I tell you know, my clients. This is really their Disneyland Tomorrowland story. This is where they really just want to cast a vision 
uh, of what they fit, see being able to do with the assets and the core competencies of the company uh, and where it can go in the future. And they don't have to do it. They don't have to accomplish it. They just have to paint a credible picture mm-hmm. of how they can take these assets and the core company and, and launch it into a, uh, uh, to take the business to the next level of growth. Yeah. And do, do you find, do you find that people will, that's the exciting piece, right? Of, 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 of the, of the acquisition game, right? That you, if you can, if you have this, this just really great story to tell, people will actually come on board because of that story. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and it's great for, what people don't realize is that that is a great recruiting tool too, mm-hmm. because when you can tell that Disneyland tomorrow night story where the company's going to go, mm-hmm. you'll attract great people, and those yeah. great people need to be part of your leadership team. No one wants no, you know, leader that is capable and is is someone that you would want to have on your team long term is going to join a company that doesn't have a future. Yeah. They want to believe there's a future because they're going to jump in with both feet and help you contribute to that long-term future for the company. Yeah. Very important. Kirsten, from your side of the table, that dynamic, I imagine, um, it's important for you to bring a certain level of, of, of skepticism, right, from the evaluation process, right? And that is probably a great characterization because I'm looking at it um, – from marketing, sales, uh, I, I kind of put them both into that same bucket. But I'm looking at, okay, you've promoted uh, that you have this marketing strategy, you know, if you're, you know, buying the business or as a seller. And so what what have you done? And so some of the areas that during due diligence we specifically look at are what are your contracts and do you have any sort of restrictions? Many times we'll see if it's a, uh, franchise, they may have a zip code restriction and they can't market into a certain area. Mm-hmm. You know, they only have, you know, 94551 or, you know, whatever they've purchased. Or on the other hand, they may have, you may have a good situation where someone's selling widgets and the vendor has said, uh, I, I'm not, uh, you know, I can't sell to you because I'm selling to someone else. Mm -hmm. So it's important to look at it, you know, although everybody thinks is marketing, getting out there and branding and uh, there can be some back, uh, you know, agreements that could restrict that ability to market. Mm -hmm. The next area that we look at is, okay, you are out there marketing. What's the message that's out there? Is it an accurate reflection of what you're doing? Specifically, is it compliant with the law? Mm-hmm. There's a number of laws, certainly, you know, that, uh, you know, you could end up in an unfair competition situation or, you know, is it confusing? Is it false? And that, that again, would potentially um, maybe be a claim or, you know, a case of fraud. So, you know, we're looking to make sure that, that side of marketing is, you know, what you're telling us and compliant with the law. Mm-hmm. That, so, that piece of it in, in I, I would imagine that changes a lot, right? I've, I've noticed that just as, as the different ways to advertise change, it's changed the way that it's regulated and, and the, and the legal implications of it. Absolutely. But the, 
over what hasn't changed is you can't um, uh, can't lie. <laughs> I guess is the easiest way <laughs> to put it in a non-legal that whether it's in electronic form, social media, print, uh, verbal, uh, it's got to be truthful. Right. And so the the law is still going to you know you don't get a pass if you're doing it on Twitter. Right. So. Um, Probably the last area that, you know, I look at is, you know, who's the competition and do you have some pricing issues? You know, are you again, um, you know, uh, you know, ha is there competition, you know, from a standpoint of, um, you know, will your competition squeeze you out or are you going to end up trying to potentially have to buy them out because of the where you're at? Mm -hmm. So, and does the price support it? You know, if you have a price that, you know, isn't in line with your competition, why is that? That's it. We're out of time. We've already gone way past the, the amount of time I like to have for these episodes. This is a great interview, and I really want to thank Thomas and Kirsten for making the time to, to talk with me. We're going to do this as a two-parter, so there's enough of this interview left for an additional episode. I'm going to get that up very shortly, and so you can expect to see that soon. In the meantime, I'd encourage you to check out all the show notes. I've got links for Thomas. I've got links for Kirsten. Um, and, and any pertinent information is going to be in there. So check that out. Until next time, I hope my good friend Jesus blesses you with peace in your heart, wisdom in your spirit, and a whole lot of laughter. Belly laughter. We all need more of that. We'll talk to you real soon.